welcome to Behind the Story, where we discover the story behind your favourite stories. My name's Lisa Renee from the Collaborative Press, and I'm also a contemporary romance author. Today, we have a special guest who writes Westerns, and Naomi Craig has pre-recorded this interview, so I'll bring them on and the recording in a second. Um, but first, Naomi and I wanted to just quickly update our followers, uh, what we've got going on. So today on this video, this March um, 2022, Love, Faith and Tender Kisses is now on sale for 99 cents. It's a box set with some Australian authors, um, an author from the UK and also from America. They are novellas, so they're about one, one and a half hours to three hours per read. So there's, you know, seven awesome stories. We've got great reviews. So get your copy. Um, we'll have a link in the bio. Also, Naomi has a pre-order up for Ezekiel's song, and she's got a special short story bonus for those who pre-order. So we'll have that link on there as well. So now I will read the bio for our guest today is Jennifer Ulrich. Jennifer discovered the Western genre as a preteen when she swiped the only horse book she found on her older brother's bookshelf. A new love was born. Across the next 10 years, she devoured Lewis, Lee, Armour, Westerns and fell in love with the genre. In college at the University of Tampa, she began penning her own story of the Old West. So let's bring on Jennifer's interview right now. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you tonight. Excellent. For those who aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about you and what you write. All right. Well, um, my name is Jennifer Ularic, and um, I am a wife, a mom, a grandma, um, and I have been writing um, for a very long time. Um, and I write Western and Western romance, um, typically historical, although with my release of Love's Fortress, I've um, just entered into the foray of, of um, doing a little bit of contemporary. So that's been exciting. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, I hear lots of good things about it. So uh, your latest book, Love's Fortress, is a contemporary uh, split time. Is that correct? Or is split it split time? Yes. Split time. Uh, we released March 1st of 2022. Um, and here's what author Melanie Dobson had to say. In Love's Fortress, Jennifer Ularic unlocks a fascinating and tragic door into the past, escorting readers back to the journey of the Plains Indians and their treasured ledger art. As the present day characters in this time slip novel chase after God's providence and the truth about the past, they uncover a number of surprises along the way, a beautiful portrait of hope in the hardest circumstances. Certainly a lovely review, but tell us a little bit about your book. What sparked the story for this? Um, with my love of the Western genre, and um, I, I've always been fascinated by the Native American cultures, you know, the Plains Indians and things. And so I'm always interested in sites that um, deal with, you know, the Native American history or Western history. And when I was on my honeymoon 15 years ago, um, my husband and I went up to St. Augustine for a long weekend. And um, we were walking around the fort, the Castillo de San Marcos fort, which was built by the Spanish in the 1600s. Um, but as we walked through the 
the different rooms, there was one room that was devoted to the Native Americans. And all of a sudden I realized that um, the Native Americans were held captive there. There were 73, actually there were three different periods where they held Native Americans in the fort. Once in the 1830s, they held the Seminole Indians during the Seminole Indian Wars. In the 1870s, they held 73 Plains Indians there. And in um, the 1880s, they held the Apaches there as, as prisoners. And um, so I'm, I'm all about the, you know, the Plains Indians and that, that kind of fits my time period that I like to write about. So when I started digging into that history, it was just fascinating because they had created their own art form called ledger art while they were held there. And that all came about because in their culture, they, um, would, they would draw art on animal skins. Well, while they were being held captive, they didn't have animal skins to draw on, but the gentleman, um, uh, Lieutenant Pratt, who was overseeing their care, he wanted to make sure that they still hung on to their, um, their culture and their heritage. So he started giving them ledger books or ledger paper, like bookkeeping paper, that they would do their art on. And so they were able to keep their culture alive and keep their history alive by, by drawing on ledger paper. Wow. And um, they actually would take some of those pictures and they would sell them to um, the, the tourists and things that came to St. Augustine who would come to the fort and want to meet the, the, the Plains Indians. So it just, it was a fascinating piece of history. And I always knew that I wanted to write a story about it, but I just didn't have the, you know, the, the, the right vehicle yet. Right. So, well, and speaking of that, uh, Love's Fortress is book seven out of the nine book series, Doors to the Past. So yes. how did you get involved with the Doors to the Past? And tell us a little bit about that series. Well, that series is, um, it's a dual timeline series. So each story has at least two, two timelines, um, one in the past and typically one in the present contemporary story, although some are two past stories, one more contemporary than the other. Um, each story has to revolve around a um, historical landmark. So in my case, it's the, um, the Castillo de San Marcos, or it was also known as Fort Marion in the 1870s. Um, and then each book also needed to include a historic um, event or newsworthy event that you know, would, would kind of tie the, the two timelines together. Um, so some of the other books in the series um, dealt with the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, I believe one of them deals with um, the Alamo, the different hotels, um, you know, historic hotels and, and things like that. Um, so when, when I uh, found out about that particular uh, series that Barbara was doing, I asked my editor, Becky, if, if I would be able to put in a, a proposal for it. And she said, sure. So I actually put in two different ideas and that was the one that she chose. Oh, how cool. I love that. So is there anything that you edited out of the book? Um, 
<laughs> yes, about <laughs> 17,000 words. <laughs> we talked about that before we started recording. <laughs> Did you yeah. save them for, a, for like a special bonus chapter or it just was random words? Oh. It was just having done so many novellas in my career so far, I've learned how to chop a lot of words and I don't do it in large chunks. I, I tend to do it in, in, you know, just a word here and a word there, yeah. <laughs> you know, two or three yeah. words out of every sentence over the course of the story adds up. So unfortunately, there's not anything big enough that I could use as extra scenes, but, yeah. um, um, but also out of, out of the, uh, the history that I researched, there were some things that I would have liked to have put in the story that I didn't get the chance to. Yeah. Um, one of them was um, there, there was actually a female um, Indian that was incarcerated during that, that three-year span, um, and her name was Mochi. And out of all of the 73 prisoners that were held there, she was one of the few who did not attempt to integrate into the white culture. Mm. That was one of the things that they required was that these these men they were trying to um actually lieutenant pratt was very progressive he wanted to make sure that the native americans could continue on that they were not just going to be exterminated so he wanted to teach them english simple arithmetic he wanted to teach them how to read how to write and then he wanted to teach them trades farming cobbler skills you know so they could work on people's shoes or blacksmithing or things like that so um he wound up um you know taking them and and he put them into school for a few hours each day and then taught them all these skills and things like that and she was one of the only indians mochi was who would not cooperate and so, you know, she was required to wear an army uniform, just like all the other prisoners did. But she never learned to speak English. She didn't want to be, you know, she, she just had no desire to be any part of the white man's world. So I would have liked to have, in, have included her, but there just wasn't enough space in the story to, you know, to really be able to include all the characters. Yeah. that I wanted to. Wow, that's really fascinating and tragic. Yes. That's, and look, 200 <laughs> years later and we're still being mean to each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'd think we had progressed beyond that by now. <laughs> so what, what sparked you in the writing bug in the first place? Uh, well, the the funny thing is, I think I came out of the womb holding a pencil. <laughs> I, I've got pictures of myself still in diapers. And I was sitting at our kitchen table and just scribbling away, you know, <laughs> as a young toddler. I remember sneaking out of bed at the age of five and, and drawing little picture books about earthworms. And, you know, just I, I always had the story bug. And I loved to play pretend when I was, you know, in grade school. And I always had a very active imagination. 
but by about seventh grade or 12 years old, you know, all my friends were starting to get into makeup and boys and, you know, they were growing beyond all that childish stuff. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to grow up yet. And then I was spending the night at a friend's house and she pulls out a, a spiral notebook and hands it to me. And she says, I'm writing a novel. And so we started talking about it and I started reading through things and I went, oh, hey, she's just writing down the fun stuff that we used to play. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it clicked with me. I can still play pretend. I just have to write it down and call it a novel. <laughs> So it, it started early with me. Are you part of a critique part, a critique group online or in person? And how often, uh, how do you connect with them? Um, actually, I am part of a critique group. Um, I've, I've got, um, in my official critique group, I've got four other ladies that I um, am, am partnered with. And then I've got my husband who reads everything I write and gives me feedback. You know, he, he was a, a cop for 26 years. And so he gives me all kinds of information when I'm writing about policing or, you know, get my characters into fistfights or any, you know, physical stuff. He's always, you know, kind of giving me pointers and feedback. Um, I've got another friend who is um, a, a, a good writer and, um, multi-published Shannon McNear who um, she's not officially a critique partner although she does critique my work when she has time um, and uh, she's in um, North Dakota right now and um, we met when she was well gosh my son was a toddler at the at the time and my son now is 24 years old so I mean it was you know, we've known each other for 20 odd years um, and been very, very good friends. So we've been kind of writing buddies and she'll read everything that I send her and same with her work. Um, and then for my official critique partners, they're all online friends, although two of them live very near to me. I mean, within an hour's drive or so. So those two and I get together as often as we can, which is not all that often, we're all busy, you know, but about two times a year, Wonderful. we'll get together and do lunch and we'll just sit and talk story or, you know, just have a good time, brainstorm, whatever. <laughs> That's wonderful. Such important to have um, supporting people in your life. It's, it's, it can be a lonely journey, but if you find the right people, it's certainly makes a huge difference. It's a blessing for sure. It is. It is, yes. So how did publishing your first book change your writing process? <laughs> well, um, my first books were very seat of the pants. <laughs> and they took a very long time. Actually, the first one that I really, really focused on um, took me six years to write and four years to edit. <laughs> So it was, it was a massive book and a lot of different point of view characters. And, you know, it just, it was my experiment. Um, and then, you know, after that, I whittled the time down to a year, year and a half. But when I got my first contract, 
I didn't have the story written. It was for a Barbara novella collection and they put out a call for submissions. And so I put in a story idea and the, the theme of the collection was the Oregon Trail. And so I had to write a synopsis and send it in to the publisher and cross my fingers and hope. And then sometime later I got the word that, hey, they want this one. And I had actually put in two different story ideas for two different collections. And within a month of each other, I got the news that both of those story ideas were taken, that they were, they were gonna um, contract them. So that was really exciting. But then I had four months to write the first one and two months to write the second one. And I had never been on deadline before. So I all of a sudden had to learn, A, how to write really fast on a deadline and B, how to not you know, be so seat of the pants. I had to write according to what I'd sold in my synopsis. And it was, it was a big change. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it. So where are your books set? All over the West, <laughs> in the American West. Um, I've done uh, stories in Texas, California, along the Oregon Trail, um, Colorado. I have one that I've never been able to sell yet. Um, it's set in Arizona. Um, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I love Arizona. It's great. <laughs> um, and then I've got um, the one that came out before um, loves Fortress, which obviously loves Fortress is Florida. Um, my only non-Western setting, um, but the one that came out before that was the Scarlet Pen, and that was set in Nebraska, which was my husband's home state. So, okay. very cool. Is there a common theme that that go along with your books? Yes, um, I didn't realize it until several stories in, but all of my stories tend to involve reconciliation mm -hmm. of some sort, you know, reconciliation between the main character and God or reconciliation between family members or reconciliation between the main characters and the community or friends. So everything, you know, all of my stories seem to wind up with somebody reconciling. I love it. That's amazing. Well, this is very interesting. I'm um, going back to the doors of the past. Um, if you comment below which landmark, it can be US, it can be anywhere in the world, which landmark would you like to see fiction about um, and Christian fiction? This has been, it would, it's, I love the history part. I'm a history nerd on that. So I love seeing that uh, when I toured in um, the Nebraska area, we, I was with um, a trip, Christian theater company and the driver would just always like oh look let's go check out this historic landmark and so we'd go off and <laughs> it just it just makes fiction come alive right there so comment, yes. below, comment below which landmark you'd like to see in Christian fiction um, and maybe one of the authors watching this can make that happen <laughs> yes give me ideas please yes, ideas <laughs> Um, all right, so we did ask a couple of, uh, we tried to get some reader questions and Tabitha would like to know if you plan on doing split time again, and she's really looking forward to reading Love's Fortress. Um, actually, I really loved writing Love's Fortress. It was a lot of fun for me. I love books that have a little more complex storylines. 
Um, so I would love to do another split time. I mean, it was, it was a hard book to write, you know, because it was my first dual time ever, but, um, I, I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was a lot of fun to me to, you know, be able to pair the, the historical with the contemporary. So I would love to be able to do that and I'll eventually come up with another idea and <laughs> get it written. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Uh, how do you find your faith impacting your writing? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, when I first started writing um, for, you know, for real, I, I was in college. I actually majored in writing. And um, at the time I was not writing Christian fiction. And so I was writing clean stories for the most part. You know, I might throw in a curse word here and there just to make it quote unquote, more authentic, but um, for the most part, you know, they were, they were clean stories. And, um, and then in 2003, all of a sudden God kind of grabbed hold of me and, and I had just started the third book in a series that I was working on and he grabbed hold of me and he said, I want you to write Christian fiction. And I said, I would be happy to do that, God, as soon as I finish this book. <laughs> And he said, no, now. And so we wrestled for about a month and I finally lost. <laughs> and I said, fine, you've worn me out. What do you want? What, what, what story do you want me to write? And he said, I want you to take these characters and bring them to me in the course of the story. And I went, why couldn't you have told me that earlier? <laughs> so... That was, <laughs> that was kind of how I fell into writing Christian fiction was God kind of put his foot down and told me, this is what you're going to do. And in the early, early stages of writing Christian fiction, I really kind of had more of the thought that I was just an entertainer and that, you know, I was here to entertain people with good, clean stories that, you know, people showed faith, but the faith element wasn't real strong in my earliest stories. And then as I've gotten further into my writing career, you know, I, it's just, I guess the stronger my own faith has become in my life and, and the more involved I become in my church, it just seems to be taking over more and more in the stories. And so um, the, the faith element is becoming stronger with each one that I write. And I'm realizing that it's, it's really gratifying to me when I read reader reviews that say, you know, you really challenged my faith, or I really, you know, I've gone to a deeper level with God because of reading this book. So, you know, I realize I actually have a ministry here. It's not just an entertainment ministry. It's, you know, I'm actually helping people to grow. Yeah, that reconciliation thing. That's right. <laughs> So what would you, what advice would you give to, um, to many years ago, Jen, as she's writing her first book or the, the first one that's contracted, what advice would you give to yourself now? You know what? I, I was thinking about this the other day, um, it, just within the last couple of weeks. And I realized that the very, very best thing that I ever did for myself as that up and coming writer was to see myself as 
publishable. Mm-hmm. And, and to never think just because I got, you know, I didn't win a contest or just because my writing doesn't measure up to this one or that one yet, or I got a rejection or whatever, that I'm not publishable. That's not the case. You know, I, I have always looked at myself as I am publishable. Maybe I'm not yet, but I will be. And so I've always had that mindset of, you know, I just haven't gotten there yet, you know, but I will be. And so I've always looked at myself as that's where I'm going. And, and I just kind of set my eyes off in the distance and said, that's the the direction I'm going. And I I'm just going to keep going until I get there. So that's really what I would recommend to anybody who's pursuing that dream of, you know, trying to, to get published is set your eye on the goal and don't look back. Don't look around, just keep moving forward and you will get there. Excellent advice. So what would, how would you describe yourself in three words? Oh, (laughs) Um, I am happy. 17,000 words over. Let's go for three. (laughs) (laughs) I I am happy. I am goofy and I am kind. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. So you have a favorite country that you would travel anywhere to. It is so hard to boil it down because there are so many places I would love to go. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say Israel would be my top. Um, but I would also have Ireland and Australia. <laughs> those, those are my top three, I think. That's fair. Shout out to Lisa, who's not even here right now. <laughs> No, that's all right. Um, um, <laughs> excuse me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <I brought it. laughs> Three, two, one. What was your inspiration for writing um, Christian? Oh, you know, you kind of answer that one. Three, two, one. What is something fun or quirky that may or may not affect your writing? Mm. <laughs> You know, I have the hardest time answering questions like these um, because I don't consider myself to be all that quirky. I'm, I'm like probably the most boring person in the world. <laughs> but as I was thinking about it, you know, um, my first long-term job when I was a teenager, I worked for five years in a video store. And so... In the video store, we had the checkout counter and then facing the checkout counter about 10 feet away was a television and we would put on movies and we would have movies going all the time just because, you know, people would walk in and see the movies going and, oh, do you have a copy of that? Well, yeah, we do. So anyway, we had movies going all the time. Well, at that point in my life, we didn't have a VCR. We didn't go out to a whole lot of movies as a family. You know, I, I really was kind of sheltered, and so I wasn't exposed to a lot of the movies that we were seeing in the video store. So we'd put in a new one, and it would be completely new to me. So I would just stand there and look at the TV <laughs> and completely miss the fact that there's a line of customers waiting, or there's movies that I have to, you know, get back on the shelf. And 
you know, work to be done. So I would stand there and just stare at the TV and it became a gigantic joke between the whole staff. Oh, there's Jen again. She's got little circles in her eyes. <laughs> but I really do think that maybe that was partly where I got my story sense because I got to see all of these movies for years and years. And, you know, I just got to see how they developed different movies and, you know, how the stories twisted and whatever. So I, I suspect that that might have been part of my writing education. <laughs> Below, if you remember those video stores, <laughs> give us a one if you remember going to uh, ours was Blockbuster in the area. <laughs> yeah, ours was the, the, the one I worked in was kind of a, a small local chain. So. Oh, that's funny. So awesome. What's coming up next for you, Jen? I am actually, because I enjoyed writing the contemporary part of Love's Fortress so much, I'm trying my hand at my first full-length contemporary. And I'm, it's, it's a little bit different for me um, because I'm actually writing it for one of the Harlequin lines that does not look for overt Christian content. You can write from a Christian worldview, but you can't have people praying or going to church or, you know, anything like that. So um, this particular story is, um, it, it's about uh, Tucker Preston is the hero's name, and he ran off from home four years earlier and um, became a cop in Albuquerque. And... Four years later, his best friend, who his parents um, kind of raised since the best friend was 13, um, his parents were killed in a, in a car accident, and so they took Brian in. Brian also ran off with Tucker four years earlier, and both of them became cops, and then Brian is killed in the line of duty and leaves behind a one-year-old daughter. And so when Tucker realizes he's been tasked with raising this one-year-old little girl, this one-year-old orphan, he's forced to return home. And um, so he winds up going home and having to try and fit back into the life that he had before. And um, meanwhile, there's um, a new veterinarian in town. His, his parents have a horse ranch. And um, Tucker's favorite um, favorite horse is his cutting horse. He used to ride um, in cutting competitions. And so his, his best cutting horse winds up getting in a terrible accident and tears up her leg really badly. And so they call out the new vet. And so there's a romance between the veterinarian and Tucker and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with it. I'm about uh, two or three chapters in right now, so. Excellent, and this one is contracted then? No, it's not contracted. Um, I'm trying to get a foot in the door with Harlequin, so, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I have to write the story first. This is the first one, <laughs> if, it, if I can sell it, it'll be the first one that I've written and contracted after I've written it, so. Okay. Yep. All of my others, all of my others, I, I wrote the, the proposal and sold it on just a proposal. Wonderful. So. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thank That's you. Fantastic. So where can the readers find you online, Jen? 
oh gosh, I am on, um, well, my website is my name, Jennifer Ularic, and the last name is U-H-L-A-R-I-K.com. So jenniferularic.com. Um, that's my website. And then I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. I'm not real active on any of those, but I am trying to get better. So <laughs> please look me up. Yeah, be sure to connect with Jen and um, follow her journey on whatever social you're on. We'll have all those in the comments below so you don't have to worry about spelling her name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been fun. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to talk, Jen. Thank you for coming and sharing with us on Behind the Story. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we were finally able to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jen is offering a copy of Love's Fortress. Um, so be sure to enter into our King Sumo for that. Um, there's, it's, looks like a fantastic book, fantastic story. Um, and then of course we've got our normal goodies linked up. If you're coming here um, for a historical comment below, team historical fiction. Um, and even though Lisa's not here at the moment, we will say it for her. If you're coming here for contemporary um, comment, uh, team contemporary and um, just so we can represent there. Um, you'll also see for historical, if you like historical, you'll see my novella, which is um, on Desolate Heights. It's about Balaam and his talking donkey. Um, and if you are into contemporary rom-com, then Lisa's got um, she's got a couple of options. You can either get a free audiobook or a free digital download of hers. Um, and that is Fake Engagement at M Mistake. Um, and until next time, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Behind the Story. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>